On this episode, Jacob and I break down what was maybe the series win of the year for the Orioles. We'll give you our top three takeaways from that series and preview an exciting series as the Orioles continue their nine-game West Coast road trip in San Diego against the Padres. All of this and much more next on the Birdie Breakdown Podcast. Game one in Seattle, coming off of that really rough Houston series, you know, the whole Felix Bautista grand slam to Kyle Tucker in game one. Uh, game two was not so pretty, and then they won game three, and then they turn around in game one in Seattle, and it was a laugher. It was not good, and it would have been really easy for the Orioles to, you know, take this and let it just ruin the rest of this series, but they didn't. I mean, you get there's some jet lag going on, right? Kyle Gibson has not pitched against the Mariners well all season long. In his first start, gave up five runs and three and a third innings pitched. This time, he gave up nine runs. The first time an Orioles pitcher has given up nine runs, believe it or not, since 2018, which is a long time ago. Um, but that's pretty much all that needs to be talked about and said about game one. It was not pretty. But game two. The bounce back birds do it again. The Mariners, they have the best rotation in baseball. They got shut out by Castillo. George Kirby goes nine complete innings, no walks. Only, Orioles only had three base runners the entire regulation. Um, it was 0-0 going into the 10th, and thanks to that ghost runner rule, they got a run home, and they led one nothing going into the bottom half of the 10th, and... Then on King Felix Hernandez night, our King Felix Bautista delivered his fourth two-inning win of the year. Holds that ghost runner on, and the Orioles wind up winning one nothing. You know, there was a little bit of concern, you know, after the series against the Astros and which Felix Bautista did not pitch well. You know, if there's been one team that's been his kryptonite his entire career, it's been the Astros. His ERA is over 19 against them. But he bounced back, and he proved that he is still the best closer in baseball. And the Orioles find a way to pull out another victory. They And this is one of the most satisfying, if not the most satisfying game win of the season for the Orioles. I mean, you got Kirby who goes nine innings. Your offense can't get anything going. You have basically zero base runners all game. And if not for Felix Bautista, I mean, this team would just be a, a total train wreck. And they just win a game that they should not have won. They didn't deserve to win it, but they got the job done. And then the rubber match, game three, it was another wild one in extra innings. But this time, it was the entertainer. But before that, Jorge Mateo had the slide of the year, in my opinion, evading a tag by Cal Raleigh to give the Orioles a 3-2 lead. And then, in the ninth inning, Cedric Mullins happened. He didn't start the game, but as soon as he came in, he made not just the catch of the year, but maybe even the catch of the century. I mean, it was up there as one of the best catches I've seen of all time in Major League Baseball. That and Stevie Wilkerson's catch in Boston are the two 
craziest catches I've ever seen. It was absurd. And he he's short for a center fielder, and he got up there. Yeah, he's no fly eight. zone. It was funny. It was the no fly. He caught the ball right at the no fly zone for who the, the no fly zone Julio sign out in center field. The Mariners call um, on that home run was hilarious. He's like Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins. That ball is. Oh, he made the catch. Oh my gosh! It was like it was ridiculous. He deked everybody in the stadium. What a catch! Brad Brock on the call too was like all of us. <laughs> yeah, he, Brad Brock he's spoke been for awesome. You think so? I mean, it was a little rough to begin with, but I feel like he's he's so knowledgeable, you know, as a pitcher and stuff. So it was but, it was crazy. Yeah, Kevin Brown is back too. <laughs> it's incredible. Anyway. Just so after that home run robbery masterclass by Cedric Mullins, the entertainer. Two pitches later, and because Mike Bauman is in the game instead of Felix Bautista, because he was unavailable after pitching thirty-five pitches the night before, <laughs> Bauman gives up a home gives up a home run to Dominic Canzone. Never heard of him before this series, but he had a series to remember against the Orioles. He hit a mammoth homer to right off of the windows, clearing the first the entire first lower section of seats at T-Mobile Park. One on nine. Crazy bat flip. Crazy bat flip, 40-degree launch angle. It was a no-doubter. And that was just what a wild ride of emotions in that ninth inning. I mean, it was just – I mean, I'm here sitting at my desk just going crazy when Cedric Mullins makes that catch. And then less than a minute later, I was not – All the life gets sucked out of you. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, here we go. This would be one of the worst losses of the year for the Orioles. They had it in the bag. Two outs – in the ninth, and they couldn't put it away. But then in the tenth, Cedric Mullins goes off again. I mean, this Brad Brock said this. This might be the one of the best two inning performances in the history of the game. It was just ridiculous. Cedric Mullins fouls a home run by less than a foot. That one was a no doubter. And then two pitches later, yeah, again, two pitches later, he hits a home run to right to give the Orioles a five-three lead in the tenth. Shintaro Fujinami, Mount Fuji comes in, gets the save, and the Orioles have maybe the series win of the year, at least the most satisfying series win of the year against the Mariners. Uh, this entire series felt like a playoff series. The atmosphere of Seattle and everybody, George Kirby, dude, that's Oof. the best pitching performance I've seen all year against us and maybe in baseball. I mean, yeah. of course, the no-hitters and Herman's perfect game are up there, but... That doesn't count. <laughs> 27 outs yeah. against probably one of, probably one of if not... They're not the hottest team offensive baseball, but they're up there, and you shut them down, you only go up three hits. That's insane. No walks either. And this team knows how to take pitchers, and his pitch count was really down in, like, the sixth, seventh inning. Thank God for Felix Bautista and Cedric Mullins. And people are like, all oh, this team's Orioles, this Orioles team's so good. People keep forgetting to ask, where would we be without Felix Bautista? Where would we be out without Cedric Mons? Would we be in a last year position this year without calling up Adley Rutschman last year? 
bunch of what ifs. The bullpen was sharp the whole game. Yep. Incredible. You know, looks good again. Perez is lighting it up again. Fujinami really had my heart rate up yesterday. But it was great. It was. It was, it was really, incredible. really impressive. How about Cole Irvin in game two? He went five innings. I mean, no scoreless. A couple hits. It was that was great to watch. I mean, people, obviously George Kirby is the story of the, on the pitching side of that game outside of Felix. But I mean, give the Orioles pitching staff credit. They shut out the Mariners. Yeah, they're not having a great year offensively, but they've got some studs in that lineup. We saw what they did to them in Game One. I mean, just to turn around and have a bounce back performance like that from the bullpen was just special to watch. And yeah, Felix Bautista. I mean, he's just. He's just so good. It's like I have no words for how good he's been pretty much all season. And, I mean, it's just, you give him the ball in the ninth and 10th inning, and the game's over. It's lights out. Oh, man, he's just he's so good. If only he hadn't blown that tug, given that tugger grand slam up, his ERA <laughs> would probably be 0. 0.7 or something <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's going to be a little inflated. And when we say inflated, it's like 1-5 now. For the rest of the year, really but yeah, it's just just insane. Strikeouts per nine over seventeen. Oof. It was really impressive. And the ghost runner on Saturday, it didn't move. It yeah, he didn't move. <laughs> he didn't move. Uh, I think yesterday he got the third. Yeah. For the Mariners, that was it. And we had a two run cushion there too. It's insane. How about Fujinami? getting that that save at the end of the game. You know, he started off a little I shaky. All, I was all because of James McCann. Yeah, after that mound visit. Because what, he, he four-pitch walk or something like that? Uh, no, he went from 0-2 to 3-2. Right, 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 right. Or 3-0 three, three to no, strike him out. No, he went 3-0 to 3-2. And then struck and him then... out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's just veteran catcher right there. How about James McCann? Since since the trade deadline, has the second best OPS plus amongst all Orioles players since the All Star break. James McCann top five on the Orioles in WAR in F four Fangraphs WAR. But I mean, talk about getting quality at bats and play behind the plate from James McCann, your backup catcher. Adley Rutschman, I mean, recently has been DHing more, um, and you know the Orioles. Fans are not complaining much because James McCann has just been playing off the charts so far. Um, but great stuff from James McCann. I want to go back a second to game three. Um, there was a crucial play in the ninth. So we'll just recap the ninth real quick. So Westberg hit that double. I thought it was gone off the bat. Um, yeah, but Westberg gets his second. You bring in Mateo um, against Munoz, who is lights out pitcher. Has a nasty slider, a uh, sweeper, and throws a hundred, hundred one um, on average. Um, but you put Mateo in, you know he's gonna pro- tr- probably try to steal third. But h- how about some high baseball IQ plays from Mateo in this inning? As you recall, there was a bot called on Munoz to move runners to second and third. Um, being McCann and Mateo, but that was only possible because Mateo told the second base umpire to look out for Munoz's hands because he wasn't getting set every um, every pitch, and he kept doing it. And then finally, 
right after Mateo said that to the ump, the next pitch, he calls a balk. And, I mean, how about Mateo? I mean, Orioles, obviously, he has, hasn't had a great year, obviously. Had a great April. Hasn't hit a home run since April. Has been struggling with the bat since April. But he's just doing the little things right. He can win you a game just like he did with that ridiculous slide. Um, and baseball IQ, he plays stellar defense most of the time. But I think you've pretty much just locked up Jorge Mateo's spot for the postseason, at least through the rest of this year. Is Jorge Mateo a keeper for the Orioles? I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question because, God forbid, something happens. I saw somebody comment on the Hicks and Kowser move and like, why didn't we get rid of Mateo? I said, I comment, I said, you look at yesterday. No one else does what he did. Yep. Not even not even Mullins, not even some guys who are nearly who are not even close to him, but have still really good speed. Mm-hmm. They can't they can't go and physically tell the umpire, look, watch his hands. And then ridiculous speed, the jump time he has to steal a base and for what he did at home, barely getting his arm. Nobody does that except Mateo. I don't even think Trey Turner or like Bobby Witt can do that. It it was just it was absurd. And kudos to the Orioles for their, you know, we've seen this season, right? They've gotten out um, with a runner on third, less than two outs in that situation because they like to send that guy every time. They he he runs on contact. But when you got a guy like Mateo running on contact, and the ball that was hit, or it was Adley's little grounder to the pitcher. It didn't even go 60 feet. It was right to him, and Mateo just finds a way to score. I mean, kudos to their philosophy on that for stealing a run, but also Mateo for just being a dog. He really gutsy for his situation yeah. and, like, him not having offensive much offensive production since April. That's a really gutsy move, and I'm all here for it. I mean, you got to risk it. This is This was a playoff experience weekend. Yep. It's two really good teams, two really hot teams. And we came out on top. And not to mention, James McCann was on first base when the ball got called after taking a really good walk against Yeah, He has seen everything well. And honestly, if McCann's in the lineup again tonight, I wouldn't be very, very mad. And we're facing a guy like Hugh Darvish, who... I mean, we can argue is having a good season, mm-hmm. but the people he's around. Yeah, I mean, he's not having a great season for you, Darvish standards, but I mean, still a solid four hundred four ERA. But yeah, I mean, I McCann's probably going to start against Snell, but yeah, it, I mean, Aaron Hicks is back. Kowser got option to AAA Norfolk. He was really struggling. And with a team in, you know, chasing for a playoff spot and a division title, division. you need production in the outfield. And he just wasn't giving that, unfortunately. But he's got to get everyday AB, so he goes to Norfolk. It's all okay. Aaron Hicks is back, a switch hit, switch hitter, plays good defense, has a good arm, backup center fielder. I think what it needed to happen, Cows just need to reset. Yeah. He needs a mental reset. It was literally like Grayson Rodriguez going back down. And you see what Grayson's been able to produce, and hopefully he can do it again tonight against the Padres. But I just think everybody was like, yeah, it's time. He needs mm-hmm. to reset. And I think he could do really well if he just need 
he needs like a month or a couple weeks to clear that mindset of I'm struggling, I'm slumping, and get back and find his groove and what got him up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no harm. I mean, he did, he wasn't going to get playing time too, especially with Cedric Mullins coming back. He didn't start the game in game three, but he comes in and puts on a show. He took that game over, one of the best performances I've ever seen in a late-game situation like that. Having Cedric Mullins back, can it make this team – I mean, I know they're they're really good. Obviously, best record in the AL, a win behind the Braves for the most wins in baseball. But, you know, people have questioned the Orioles' capabilities as a World Series threat this season because of the pitching and some other things. But I feel like now with Mullins back, it's a no-brainer in my mind, a healthy Mullins back, that the Orioles are a true World Series contender. What do you think? When Mullins is on the team, the whole team functions. Mm-hmm. They they do things that most teams can't. They they find ways to win these one run games, and sometimes they find ways to blow them out. And it is if if anything has been said about this team not being a World Series contender, it's complete lies. Yeah, the entire season. We are 118 games in right now. They have proved that they can hang with the yeah. best. I mean, the odds say and that they have too. Never, they have not been swept since last year, last May. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So it's, it's insane. They can find ways to hang around with a team and even take one. And one game can be huge, especially mm-hmm. like against Houston. Because Tampa Bay lost that game against that same day, and they lost yesterday when we took one from them, and yep. we are sitting with the three-game win again. Yeah, the difference between getting swept and winning a game is a two-game swing. Like, it's just – it's that important. Cedric Mullins, I mean, in my opinion, if you talk about who is the most underappreciated or underrated Oriole, I think he's my pick. I mean – He's played 20 games since the end of May, 21 now. Um, but he's just really – outside of Adley, I feel like he's the heartbeat and, and heart and soul of this team. I mean, just what he provides in the outfield with his defense, the speed on the base paths, and he's got a bit of pop too. It may not be 30-30 like we saw a couple years ago, but Mullins, as we saw in the 10th inning against the Mariners, he can get the job done with that bat. It's such a nice – even leveled swing. Um, and I just man, Cedric Mullins is yeah, he he's definitely my most underappreciated Oriole. I would bring him back after this year because he's isn't he a free agent? After after next year. Because of arbitration, right? Yeah, same thing with Santander. I would bring both of them back. Yeah. And it it him like Ali are the two most underappreciated and overlooked. By not not by just this fan base, by the whole league. Yeah. Every fan base, we're not talked about enough. And these mm-hmm. guys are pretty much the reason we're still hanging around. And we're up on Atlanta's level. Who would have thought in the April? Who would have thought? The first series of the year against Boston, The it was not a good three-game set in the beginning of the year. Multiple big blown leads. Kramer did not look good. We were all. Oh, this is going to be the same thing as two years ago, three years ago. We're the second seventy-one team, and 
this sport right now. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay's got 71, but we're better. Yeah. I mean, we beat them head to head. Their pitching's better. We're not going to talk been about it. to beat up their pitching. I mean, you look at the Orioles' remaining schedule and the Rays' remaining schedule, not to mention their off the field situations with certain unnamed players. players. <laughs> um, but the Orioles have 46 games left. And of those 46 games, they've got 27 against teams under 500. That's the most in the entire AL East. Only 16 against teams over 500. And 10 of those are against the Blue Jays and the Rays. And that's not even including the Red Sox. The Orioles have shown that they can beat as well. Um, But they've, I mean, they they didn't play a, a team under 500 between... June 8th and pretty much the beginning of August. And now they get a stretch, a really favorable stretch of 46 games to close out the regular season. And I think the Orioles, they're definitely a lock to make the postseason. Fangraphs has them at like 98%. But I mean, they're, they're, it's 98. they're making it. But they're the third highest. It's LA, Atlanta. They both have 100%. Yeah. And the Orioles have 98 I just think they're going to start pulling away from the Rays coming up here. Um, but they're, I, I don't want to say a lock for the AL East, but it's becoming more and more likely down the stretch. I think we're starting to pull away from teams like Toronto. And yeah, that's, that's huge. New York. Too. And because um, they have found their little skid, New York especially, against Miami this weekend. Oh, that was That was terrible. And I just think that we're gonna have we are gonna have the easy schedule, and I think again with Tampa's circumstances of injured lists, things being investigated off the field, and out of the clubhouse, you don't like to see a team go down like that. But it's looking like we might pull away. Mm-hmm. We I would love to win the division. I would love to be that first seed to get the buy, but. I like the close and the electricity of a good race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But honestly, it would make my heart feel a lot better if <laughs> we could pull away with this this really easy stretch against San Diego. Then we go to Oakland. Mm-hmm. And then who do we play after that? Then you have an off day and you're home against Toronto for three. So that, that's the last series oh, against okay. them. And then you've got Colorado and the White Sox. Then the struggling Diamondbacks the Angels, the Red Sox, and the Cardinals. I mean, that that's you can't ask for a more favorable stretch than that. Um, Arizona is now under 500. The Angels are under 500. Boston is the only team who's over 500 in that stretch of about 20 games. And I don't know. It, it's looking good for the Orioles. They've got an eight-game lead over Toronto. Who I feel like is never out of it. They're just too inconsistent in my opinion um but i mean they're in a dog fight with seattle for that last wild card spot boston is hanging in there too three games back of toronto Boston's but it's looking look good. good they have trevor stories back chris sale is back they they can they can make some noise the orioles still have to play them seven more times so yeah it's some big. games to be lost or won um ground to be gained or lost they're 11 games ahead 
of Boston. Um, but looking at the bullpen for the Orioles, they pitched really well those last two games against Seattle and kind of imparted a sneaky pickup on Michael Elias. I mean, he does just so well. Jacob Webb, get him DFA'd by the Angels. I don't know why, but this dude has a sub three ERA in four career seasons in Major League Baseball. He has great stuff, upper 90s fastball, great off-speed stuff. He gets dr- dropped by the Mariners, and Michael Elias swoops him, swoops him up. He's Angels. pitched four. Yeah, what did I say? You said Mariners. I meant to say Angels. Yeah, but he hit four scoreless innings, looked great in each of his outings. Struck Jacob out the Astros in the side. Yeah, they struck out the out side in his first appearance. Eight, nine, and one. Mm-hmm. Um, came in for relief yesterday. Two-thirds, I think. Yeah. And then Perez relieved him. Yeah, right. it looked great. I don't know why they got rid of him. His sweeper is incredibly nasty. Yeah. That pitch is and dirty. It's it's another Mike Elias low-risk, high-reward move. Yep. I mean, you talk about low risk, high reward. The Orioles didn't have to give up anything for him, and there was so much talk about at the trade deadline. Oh, why didn't the Orioles get another reliever? Shintaro Fujinami is not enough, and I mean that had some merit to it. I think they needed another arm. With Michael Givens now being DFA, that didn't work out. Dylan Tate is most likely done for the season, but you get Jacob Webb, and I think this might be the reliever the Orioles needed need down the stretch after not acquiring one at the deadline. Oh, absolutely. Webb has looked great. And I think as long as we can, as long as he can prove that he deserves to be on this team and like he did yesterday in a really high leverage situation, a tie game, I think he could hang around. He could even make the postseason roster. Yeah, I think he should. I mean, the Orioles, and again, there's still re- reinforcements coming. DL Hall, it's coming soon. John Means is still in double-A Bowie rehabbing, but he looked really good in his first stint. Fastball was at 91-92. Got to 93 a couple of times. I didn't even expect that. I thought it would be upper 80s fastball from Means, but his stuff is looking good. He pitched three scoreless innings there. He's going. He's due for another rehab start tomorrow. In a couple of weeks, you're going to see John Means in some capacity, whether that's in the pen or – you know, you mix up that rotation a little bit. They're six man right now rotation, but means DL Hall. Um, you got some options. Chase McDermott is pitching lights out. I mean, he's pitching ridiculous in Triple N Norfolk. Um, he's, I mean, he he hits a hundred with his fastball. Got him in the uh, Trey Mancini trade last year at Houston, but it's just it's just really good stuff from the Orioles all around. And people talk about, okay, their pitching has struggled some this year. Yeah, that's true. But they've just got so much talent coming that I think they'll be able to manage and it'll all be fine. I completely agree. And Nathan Ruiz, after Jake Berger of the Marlins, is wearing a king hat. So Nathan Ruiz, Mariners fans look away about a new king. Yeah, I see it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This, Mar- this is- rivalry that we have, it could pan out to be one of the better, better ones. Yeah, I 
it's I like playing them. I'd like to play them at home next time. Um, I think that's the most likely scenario. But I do have a question. So if the Orioles make well, when the Orioles make the playoffs, and if they get that buy by winning the AL East, do you want them to be the number one or number two seed? If you're the number one seed, number one overall seed, do you play the third either the third seed, who's going to be either Tampa Bay or Houston or Texas, one of those three teams, and the four seed, which is the top wild card. So it's going to be one of those teams who you're going to play in the ALDS. But if you're the second seed, then you're going to get the winner of the AL Central, which is most likely going to be Minnesota, and the last wild card team, which could be Seattle, Toronto, who the Orioles play well, and the Red or the Red Sox. The Orioles have won this series against two of those teams and they still have some more games to play against the Red Sox. But I mean, I don't know if I'm you, if you agree with me, but if I'm the Orioles, it's okay to drop a couple of games here because you can afford to be that second seed when it's all said and done, just because of the favorable matchups you get. I don't know. I'm, I'm too concerned about Tampa Bay at this moment from only being three games out. Yeah, we talked about their them declining, but a bad stretch, and we could be second place again. It's true. And I, I for the love of God, do not want to play Houston. Yeah, that's the one team I'm scared of. It's just Houston. Um, we still got to play three games against them at Minute I Maid. would hope that Houston wins the division and we can get Texas because we, we can beat Texas. Yeah, we beat them at we their place. The it was early in the year, but – yeah, we so. got the series in June, but mm. to them, but we can prove that Rick, we can hang with them, we can win. So, I, I don't know. I think we need to hold on to the one, and if if we get a sizable lead, I think we could just drop a couple games. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I I think that's that stuff is we can talk about that later when it's when it's all said and done. Road. But right now, it's got to focus on getting some more wins. 73 and 45, trying to get to 29 games over 500. They haven't been 29 games over at any point this season. It'd be nice to get there tonight against the Padres. And speaking of the Padres, three games coming up against them, they're struggling. They're 56 and 62. They've they're three and seven in their last 10 games. They have a positive run differential, 57 over. They play teams above 500 well, surprisingly, and they have a really good pitching staff. The Orioles have faced their three best pitchers in Darvish, Darvish, Blake Snell, who is arguably the best pitcher in the NL this year, up there with Zach Gallen, and Michael Waka, who the Orioles have seen a lot pitch for the Red Sox um, last season. Crazy. And the rate, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, this. You wonder why the Padres don't win more games than they do with the great pitching they have. Waka has a sub-3 ERA this year. I don't know how. The Orioles were rumored to be interested in him this offseason but didn't wind up coming to an agreement. But, yeah, it's just their offense is not played well despite all of the stars they have. Top four payroll in all of baseball. Tatis Machado, Machado, Juan Soto, I mean the list goes Xander Bogarts, the list goes on and on with these guys. But they just they don't find a way to get it done. And 
they're 56 and 62. Their season's practically over. There's too many good teams in the NL. It'll be a a challenge against these pitchers, but good pitching is certainly something the Orioles have seen pretty frequently, especially it doesn't get better than what they saw with Seattle. And they're they they have three three aces in their pen with two young guys coming up. So it'll be a challenge, but I think they can get the job done. The Orioles take two of three, probably sweep, in my opinion. Yeah, I know where you where you found that from. That quote. <laughs> my favorite if, Orioles Twitter page. Shall we Second. shout out? Second, who's your favorite? You. I got yeah, I mean, it's got to be the Berlin beat. Your I boy, your boy you went. E Diddy. Yeah. 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 You did <laughs> for Barstool. I did. I mean, E Diddy reposted me. Um, I think Ben Verlander did too. Talk of baseball, John Boy. Yeah, it was actually John Boy. It wasn't even talking baseball. Yeah, it was. It's pretty cool. For the whole Felix Bautista nonsense. And by the way, I mean that whole thing was started by Mar- Mariners fans. Their own fan base started the the whole drama. So don't come crying to Orioles fans because he owned you. You asked for this fight, and you lost this fight. It's a self-inflicted wound. Debate a wall, Mariners fans. We have the real King Felix. Yeah, you lost two of three on King Felix weekend. I mean, I don't want to hear it from you guys anymore. (laughs) The thing is, the part that gets me every time is that the Orioles don't even call him King Felix. Like, you're holding on to what an intern said three months ago with some reporter who likes to start hot takes like the he's he's the mountain that's what we call him nothing more nothing less we don't want to call him king felix the only reason we do that now is to piss you off (laughs) but yeah you know it's gonna be funny when we start calling jackson holiday the kid (laughs) you know what's his name oh kevin brown is called uh gunner henderson the kid a couple of times i one more question um, that remind reminded me of it. Gunnar Henderson, since the trade deadline is not playing particularly well, he's in an 0 for 20 right now. Uh, but he's batting second, and Adley has been crushing it in the leadoff spot. But with Cedric Mullins back, do you pull the trigger and put Seti back in the spot where he's been for the past two years for this team? He got the speed. He can get on base with walks, got a good eye, and he's got the pop from the top of the order. I think you put Adley back in that two spot, put Gunner down a little bit, and put Seti back at the leadoff. And I don't know. I just think that's what the move should be. I wonder if Brendan Hyde is going to do that coming up against San Diego, but only time will tell. I kind of agree with you. I think it should be like Mullins, Rutschman, Henderson, Santander. Yeah. I think that should be our top four. I think that's the. I think that's the soul and the heart mm-hmm. of even then you got really hot guys like Mountcastle <sighs> and Frazier can show that he's been hot. Dude, and dude is they on are, fire. They can be the middle part. And then I, I don't know. McCann's even hot. Yeah. And Westberg is swinging a hot bat. You guess still got Aaron Hicks. Everybody's hot. And hopefully yeah. Hicks can provide. Hopefully Hayes can stop being a double play machine. <laughs> That's something we can talk about later. Um, but I mean, this—they've t- just got so much depth, position player depth. They're functioning really well with each other, and mm-hmm. the atmosphere there is unbeatable. I know the crowds at Camden Yards this year have been unbelievable. 
I mean, you, you you they're at a stretch a right now with like a four games over four straight games over thirty thousand. That may not seem like a lot, but a couple of years ago they were stretching to get thirty thousand even once per year. So a lot of good things going on for the Orioles. A big series coming up tonight against the San Diego Padres. But that pretty much wraps it up for us on this episode of the pod. Make sure to follow us on our socials all series long as we keep you up to date with daily news, reports, and analysis of your Baltimore Orioles. For Jacob Kemp and the rest of our crew, I'm Nelson Dorsey. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.